Hello, and welcome again to the Colin College Academic Continuity Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Garcia. Thank you so much for joining me this week. This week's podcast is going to include a good group of individuals. What we wound up doing was we actually wound up setting up a Microsoft Teams call with a collection of some of the faculty fellows for the Colin Virtual Campus. And these faculty fellows are going to offer us some insight into some of the things that they learned during the whole continuity phase when we were dealing with COVID over the spring semester. So what we did was we sat them down and we asked them uh, a couple of questions about what they had learned, what some of the successes were that they had during this whole time, what some of the challenges were, and we wanted them to just provide some of that perspective because we really do feel that, you know, especially during this time, it can be so easy if you feel isolated or if you feel detached um, or if you're just working from home and not really getting to see or engage with the people that you normally engage with in the office, it can feel like the struggle that you're enduring is yours alone. And I think it could be helpful to a lot of faculty, maybe even some staff and students out there to hear what these faculty fellows have to say, the, the struggles that they encountered and, and how they overcame them. So I'm going to go ahead and allow it to transition here. We're going to transition over to the faculty fellows and get some of their perspectives. Enjoy. Hello and welcome everyone. Today we are joined by some of Colin College's virtual campus faculty fellows to have a panel discussion about the impact of COVID-19 on their 2020 spring semester. We're going to ask a few questions. Please feel free to jump in with your thoughts and let's have an open panel discussion. Sound good? Okay, let's get started. Um, I'd like to start with going around the table and have everyone introduce themselves. So let's start with um, Amira. Hi, I'm Amira Shahama Balansi. I teach uh, human anatomy and physiology at Preston Ridge and in the virtual campus, I am teaching human anatomy and physiology for non-science major. Very nice. Welcome, Amira. Um, LaToya? I am LaToya Watkins at the Plano campus. I teach composition and English courses. And for the virtual college, um, I am teach virtual campus. I'm teaching um, composition. Wonderful. And uh, Sakanya? I'm Sakanya Subramanian, and I'm a professor of biology at the Frisco campus. Uh, I teach general biology one and two, as well as the um, biology for non-science majors one and two, and that's what I teach online at the um, Colin Virtual uh, College. Wonderful. Thank you, Sakanya. So these are our Colin Virtual College faculty fellow members that are joining us today, and I'm Nicola Marshman, and we're also joined by Mark Garcia. And hey, Casey Dodd. Hey, Mark, how's it going? Doing well. All right, so let's get this uh, panel started and let's kick off with the first question we wanted to address to you guys and find a little bit out about the impact of COVID on your semester. And first, I wanted to know what went well. Okay, I'll, I'll start um, because it's always a weird type of quiet after you ask the question. Uh -huh. <laughs> so um, there were a couple of things that went well. Um, I think that uh, I said it before, and this is the biggest impact that I had uh, on on going well. 
from face to face to online, it was the uh, will of the students to actually complete the semester, to continue with the hard work, even though we were um, distant learning, we were um, not really an online course that was designed to be online. So the students were, um, they had really strong will to continue and study and participate, at least in my classes, most of my classes, most of my students. And um, using the Zoom to have some kind of synchronous meeting with them really worked well. And um, I'm sure that other people will have something to add to that. I do, most definitely. Um, I think that students, there, there was a really strong will to continue on and complete the course uh, because it started, uh, we kind of went online almost exactly halfway through, like it was right after spring break. Um, so a lot of students weren't willing to kind of give up on the class. I even had a face-to-face -face class, an eight-week class that was supposed to start um, after spring break. And I didn't get any drops um, from that class, even though they had enrolled expecting to have a face-to-face -face experience. And I had students who were willing to come to those online sessions um, and they did have, there were some hiccups um, because the world was changing outside of Collins so very rapidly. Um, but students were very much willing to work hard to keep up and to be as flexible as um, we were kind of required to be in that moment. Okay, so what yeah. I'm hearing is your students were really dedicated and wanted to follow through. Sakanya? Yeah, I think experience so. For you? Um, yeah, to a certain extent, but I think that what really went well for me initially, um, I think was that I was able to organize, I was able to transition pretty smoothly uh, because of what we had learned in this, um, uh, uh, Colin Virtual College. And so there were a lot of technology known to me. And also I could organize the homework and things for them so that it would be easy for them to just uh, go in and start their work smoothly without any uh, major hurdles. And I think that really went for well for me, the organization. And once they saw that the organization was good, I think that kept them motivated and they were like able to do the things, they weren't confused, they knew exactly what to do when. And I think that helped streamline the course. So streamlining the course, I think was probably what went really well for me for that sudden transition. Mm -hmm. well, that's great. I, I agree, I agree with, with uh, Sukanya. I think it was uh, much easier for us as we were so, um, we were ready and trained for online environment. And I could see how other uh, uh, instructors were struggling with this transition on, on what to put, how to put. I must admit that mine was not as organized to begin with because I was oriented towards face-to-face uh, -to -face teaching, but I was able, as Sukanya said, to, to 
start organizing it in a way that will make sense for the students. And I think that the ongoing communication with the students that went well helped them to, to realize that they're not alone in this uh, adventure. Sorry about that. Here I am. Um, <laughs> I was on mute. Imagine that. So that's really great news to hear that the program, which is the Colin Virtual Campus Faculty Faculty Fellow Program, we started. It was about this time last year, mm -hmm. and um, we did a lot of it, a lot of training, a lot of technical er, exp experimentation with technologies, and just really got everyone together and helped learn tools and how to engage with students in the digital in the digital realm so that's fantastic news to hear that those skills helped the transition go well for you yeah especially the synchronous teaching i mean i think the first thing that we did when we were in the cvc was actually to do the zoom sessions and how to do them and how to edit and that was so helpful yeah right. actually having those meetings face to face and working as a team yeah mm -hmm. absolutely and it's yeah sorry go ahead and the classes that um, the quality matters classes that we were required to um, take as part of the program. What I found after that is that I kind of wanted to bring all of my classes, even the face to face, those were that were face to face, partially face to face, up to speed and provide everything um, to the students on all of the resources to make them available through um, Canvas. So I, I agree um, with. Amira and Sakanya, that it it really made um, the difference, especially my associate dean did some meetings with us um, periodically, and to hear how other people were struggling um, mm -hmm. kind of really helped me see what a service uh, the program had been for. Yeah. I think for me, when I, I was talking to other people and still do, um, we did not have the fear of teaching online. Um, it was a, a very natural, um, I, I'm not going to say warm and fuzzy, but at least a uh, very comfortable environment because we've been through the, the program and, and we've been kind of trained into it. So there was no fear and a lot of, of my colleagues did have uh, um, I don't know if fear is the word, but they were concerned about going to online. Yeah, probably they've never had the practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Well, that's great to hear. Um, hey, Mark, I'm going to pass it over to you. Okay. Um, can you scroll down so we can see the question? Thank you. Yeah, so um, we've talked a bit about what went well, and you all have told us as well um, you know, that, that you were kind of prepared because you had done some of the onboarding as faculty fellows, but even with the best training, this whole situation brought some unexpected and unanticipated twists and turns to all of us. So I'm kind of curious to know, uh, what was a struggle or what were the struggles and challenges you faced, um, along the way into this transition for this last semester? I think for me, the main struggle was that I was exhausted. 
um, because you know when you talk to the student face to face um, I'm ready to go into the classroom as is I know the material I know the stuff that I need to show them um, I know my PowerPoints. I know how to draw on the whiteboard. I didn't have a whiteboard. Do you know what a struggle it is not to have whiteboard and and markers? I was just lost for a minute. So I um, it took me a while to convert that into the uh, distant learning, and it took so many hours. I was totally exhausted, and I needed to be full on alert. Uh, to teach my classes, um, but I've learned a lot from my struggles, especially from the technical point of view. I found out about the whiteboard uh, in the in the Zoom. I actually bought a real whiteboard, uh, and and I thought that I would use it uh, in the Zoom meeting. Eventually, I do have an orphan big whiteboard. Anyone is up for taking it? <laughs> Because I do have it, but my biggest struggle was to to um, convert into a face to face into an environment of distant learning for students that did not sign for online and to take my uh, face to face learning and convert it into an online teaching for the non-online students. That was my struggle. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point there, Amira, is that we took these face-to-face -face classes and we had to start teaching them remotely, which is an entirely different concept than online learning or online course. Yes. So, great yeah, point I think I think the issue was, you know, like we are used to like setting everything up already for our online courses. So, Everything is already set from day one to day, the final day. Whereas for the face-to-face, -face, everything was, you know, we were doing it as the days were coming. So we were just a few steps ahead of our students. And there were so many courses that we had to do. And I think, as Amira said, the time, there was such a time crunch. And so we were pretty much on the computer the whole day and trying to figure out things. And of course, the, one of the main problems I had was the internet going off. <laughs> so it was like, the Zoom sessions would be like, okay, we're going, and then suddenly the internet goes off. And then we had to resume, and then there was you know, such a lag time. So just some small technology issues. And also the other thing was to actually get these face-to-face -face students to come online because there's, they, they come to class and they listen to you. But once everything went on to a... Uh, uh, an online teaching and where it wasn't mandatory for them to come to the Zoom sessions to keep them engaged. That was also a struggle because in the classroom and it's face to face, easy to keep them engaged, easy to do those discussions, easy to do the group activities, easy to do the demonstrations. But when you go online and that too in such a sudden manner, it was very difficult to keep them engaged in that manner. So I think that's one of the things that I also struggled, that I struggled with is to you know make sure that they got everything that they could from an online which they would have gotten face to face i i i agree with that um i spent a lot more time online like the bulk of my day was spent online because my my online and my face-to-face -face students are often very different um students 
And some of my face-to-face -face students, I require papers to be submitted online. Um, one of the things that we do early on in the course is I walk them through how to do that. I demonstrate that in front of the class. And there are still times after that where we kind of have to walk through that. So they're not always um, as computer savvy or as readily available or can, can enter um, a Zoom, um, I don't know, a Zoom lecture as, as um, easy as my online students who become accustomed to it, who in orientation, um, I am able to tell them to navigate the class. Everything is here because you thought ahead um, to, and you've met all of their needs um, to the end of the semester long before, like before they start the class. But I agree with Sukanya in, in a face-to-face -face class, we're probably a step ahead of them. So in order to kind of make that work, that transition work, we had to position ourselves to where we could be more than just that one step ahead of them um, and get them the information that they needed in the way that they needed. And figuring that out did take a lot of time. But I'll also say that um, I had problems or trouble gauging who was struggling um, during a lecture or even as far as the work itself went. When I am in a face-to-face -face class, students usually, um, especially students who are not likely to raise their hands and ask a question, will approach me before or after class um, and get their questions in that way. I didn't have that. And I can sometimes see a look of confusion or concern on their face faces and am able to guide them to where they need to go or better assist them with what they're struggling with. It, it's a, it was a little bit more difficult to gauge how they were struggling or exactly who was struggling um, in that transition for me. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think part of our job is as professors or one of the skills that we acquire through the years of teaching face-to-face -face is the ability to read even the smallest signs on students' faces when they are confused or when, when they are uh, not really there or, you know, the joy of, aha, the light bulb moment. And this was missing in Zoom meeting because a lot of them stayed behind those uh, black squares. And I was pretty much talking to myself, which is, not a new thing to me, but still, um, I could not have this um, interaction with their facial expressions to the point where I could really, as Latoya said, um, catch the ones that are struggling and maybe, you know, try to explain it in a different way. So I was really depending on their questions that not necessarily were asked. So that was also a struggle. Yeah, I think that was definitely true, your um, Amira, in terms of just recognizing the students who, you know, are struggling or have questions to ask. And we pretty much sometimes I even ask the questions before they do because I, I yes. kind of know okay, this is what you're, <laughs> this is what you want to know. Yes. And so that was a struggle, and um, you know, it was I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate, but there were a few students who, in my synchronous Zoom sessions, would pipe up and ask questions. 
And um, that would definitely, you know, be the moment where I could recognize what they were struggling with and, and help them out. And I used to have review sessions. But again, it was only the people who attended, you know, for yes. the people who didn't attend, they were just had the recordings and they couldn't get, um, you know, the opportunity or the advantage of asking the question or getting misconceptions clarified. Mm -hmm. uh, real quick, since uh, you guys are already talking about uh, the next question was, you know, were you able to identify students that were uh, that were struggling um, and how did you reach out to them to ensure they had succeeded? I was not even trying to tell you the truth. Um, there's, there was no way for me. I could, I could know who, who came to the class who, and who didn't. But at that point, um, I just let it go because their life circumstances had changed, and I did not want to um, come across as I am. Um, pushing them into some place that is uncomfortable for them. I know that some of them, you know, had to stay home with their kids or they were in those professions that were essential. So uh, they had to work more hours. So I just let it go and I tried to have communication, weekly communication with my students through emails. But since I also had the daily or twice a week meetings with them and I had office hours on Zoom. So they had a lot of opportunities to reach out if they wanted to. Um, and, and what I was trying to do is to supply them with the information, like Sukanya said, recording the Zoom meetings, posting them the same day, let, letting them know that it's there. Uh, but I did not, I was not active in looking for those students that were struggling um, or, or trying to reach them individually. I think I'll concur with um, uh, Amira in that it was it was not easy. I mean, I, I'm sure there are ways and that you could go and look at the struggling students online, but I think with the mode that we were in, in trying to catch up and make sure that all the uh, material was available to them at the right time and between the Zoom session recordings and posting, um, I think there just wasn't that opportunity for us to go and, you know, um, delve into who was struggling and who wasn't. There were, in fact, some people who emailed me and said, I'm sorry, I can't attend the Zoom sessions because I have some personal, uh, uh, you know, uh, things at home, like, as Amira said, children or work or whatever. And so you don't feel like intruding on that. So I just uh, let the students contact me. And of course, if they contacted me, I immediately um, tried to help them out as much as I could in terms of giving them all the resources that they needed. But other than that, it wasn't like I could go and actually fish out the students who were struggling. Um, it was not a, uh, at that mo at that time, it was not a practical thing that for me that I could do. I, I um, use the analytics in Canvas to see who was um, participating. If I saw someone missed an assignment and I'd known that they had uh, been turning in assignments before spring break, um, there was a point in the semester, probably about two weeks after we were back, that I made a list and sent out an email to a message through Canvas to all of those students. Um, who I felt like might have been struggling 
Um, I only heard back from a few of them. I sent out um, and I um, sometimes bi-weekly announcements or, or twice a week announcements, but there was not much that I could do. I think the email um, issue might, like some students weren't checking their college emails. Sometimes I would get emails from um, outside, from Gmail, outside Gmail addresses. So sometimes I wasn't able to reach those students because of the resources that I had um, to reach them with. But I did try, I, I, and I agree with uh, Sukanya and Amira, I didn't make that my top priority because in many ways I was trying to keep up and make sure I was covering all of the other bases. But there was once where I did kind of compile a list and reach out to them. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And when you're face to face, like you were saying, you're able to get that biofeedback, see students, their facial expressions and reach out to them and help them if you see them struggling. And I think, especially since it was more of a firefighting situation over the spring, it was hard to make that proactive move to keep an eye on students and reach out to those that are struggling. I love the analytics, but I mean, I think this is a great opportunity just to kind of parse over the back end analytics and just be emailed if a student hasn't logged in for a week or two, it just, I think there's an opportunity there to help you guys out and keeping an eye on your students, especially if you've got firefighting moments or, you know, two or 300 students that you're trying to keep an eye on. Anyway, that's, that's great stuff. Um, I do want to move on to another question and that is um, what software departments and or people helped you out during this time? Um, Nicola, I think I'll go first since I have to leave a little yeah. early. <laughs> okay, yeah, sounds good. So, so I think for me, the most uh, uh, helpful software was Zoom. I mean, that was, I don't know if you consider it a software or application. I guess it's an app, though, right? But I think that was one of the things that um, helped me the most in um, keeping my students. And of course, whatever was on Canvas. I think between Canvas and Zoom and my publisher publisher's material, I think all those three is what... Um, you know, was the, the best resource for me to help my students. And um, departments, of course, the ECL was wonderful. And you guys, I mean, every week for you guys to have a meeting, Nicola, Mark, and the others, I mean, I am so thankful. And I really helped. And also, not only that, um, every time I was like, oh, my God, how do I do this? I immediately emailed you or, you know, uh, messaged you on team. And you were, at, you know, within couple of minutes, I got an answer back. So I really, really appreciate that. And, um, you know, I think without that support, it would have been more difficult for me. So thank you so much for that. I am going to second that. Um, I cannot even imagine what you guys did behind the scenes. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, using all the platforms that were available for us, the Canvas, the Zoom, how they match and, and work together, it went, it was seamless for me on my side as an instructor and, and for my students, um, I did not have any issues with that. And um, I cannot be more thankful than I am because um, I'm sure that you work 24 seven or 
in shifts to make it happen. Um, I also think that uh, those um, webinars that you supplied, uh, I was familiar with all of those, as Sukanya said, because we were trained, but I know it was very helpful for my colleagues to attend them, uh, to learn about the options. So for me, I would say that uh, we could not do it without the ELC, the extended ELC, whatever you call those departments that I'm not even familiar with the names, uh, everything that had to do with maintaining the, the platforms, making sure that they're uh, working together and that when it comes to us as the customers, it just worked uh, with no hiccups, at least for me. So again, thank you so very much. I can only echo what each of um, which, what what Sakanya and Amira have already um, said. The, the ELC, you all, and like the guidance they even everyone kind of gave to my department. Um, my associate dean was able to host meetings where she shared information that she'd received from the ALC, the webinars. Mm -hmm. um, Zoom was, was very important for, I think, getting a lot of us um, through this, not just here at Colin, but everywhere. Um, so I... Like I, I, I agree with them. I don't I don't know what we would have done without um, departments like those. Yeah. Yeah, I want to add to that, of course, the in the department, uh, we had regular meeting with our associate dean, which was good to share ideas, uh, to talk about things that were more problematic to how to approach it. So I think you all bring up a great point. It's calling college in general, I was amazed about how much we all pulled together as a community and just were there supporting each other and all the different angles that, that we were just coming at us. So the feeling is mutual all around. What a great place to be. Uh, Mark, any last thoughts or questions? Yeah, I have a final question. So I know that within our own department here at uh, Colin in the Department of Strategic Initiatives, we learned a ton from this situation and this experience. And as a result, we have decided to kind of change and modify some of the ways that we work on a day-to-day -day basis. So what I'm curious to know from all of you is if you are teaching this summer or maybe even for your classes in the fall, um, what what did you learn during this experience that um, that you know you've decided to either change or what do you think you're going to carry from this experience into future classes, whether they're online or um, hybrid or even face to face? Are there elements and aspects from this experience that you learned and you picked up along the way that you're like, I'm going to implement these in all of my classes in the future? Sukanya, you want to go first? Yeah, please? I think one of the things that um, I really wanted to do, as I mentioned, was one of the struggles I had was engaging. So I've been looking at a lot of discussion assignments, and I think that's one of the ways to keep them engaged because I've actually started doing that in the summer, and I see more engagement. And I think I want to start off some substan substantive and, uh, you know, but not, it, it shouldn't be something that is overwhelming but at the same time would motivate them to participate and enjoy it 
And I think that will motivate them also to learn. So I think for me, that was the main take home. And of course, I think the synchronous teaching also, I learned a lot about that synchronous teaching, which I want to incorporate in the future. For me, um, the first thing that I learned from the spring and brought to the summer is Zoom netiquette. And I put it in my syllabus that, uh, first of all, students need to have a name that matches the, the name on the roster, because otherwise I wouldn't let them in. I didn't want, I, I, uh, in the spring, I didn't use a waiting room, but I'm using the waiting room now in the summer. And I don't want to let anyone that is not part of my class uh, trying to hijack the, the meeting. So this is one. The second thing is that I require all of them, at least when they join at the beginning, to have their video on. Uh, I want to see their faces when we are in the same room. Then when I'm going into sharing the PowerPoints or the whiteboard, they can uh, turn it off. But I think, and what I saw in the last three days that I'm teaching is that all of them are staying with their video on. So if we get them to feel comfortable with um, being seen and see themselves, it is so much easier for me as a professor to actually teach when I see faces. Um, the other thing that I, I learned, uh, we had it in the spring because we had face-to-face -face students and they were some kind of a community. They, they create a certain class character and community that when you start directly online, you don't have it because they're each one of them is in their room or wherever they are and they don't really interact directly. So I did a, a part of a session, let's get to know one another and so they could find uh, uh, people that they can uh, relate to and get to know one another better. Um, I agree with Sukanya regarding engaging. So um, I built in a group work in, in break room where they actually work through the Zoom together, not so much discussion when they need to write something. And the last thing that I've learned is how to organize my course for uh, kind of an partially online, partially synchronous, because in my regular online, I don't meet with them. I have students, I had students that, that studied the course from France. So you don't necessarily, you cannot necessarily meet with them, but the majority of my summer one class were students that signed for face-to-face -face, uh, instructions. So it is a combination of, of uh, organizing the material and having uh, uh, meetings. And uh, I think that my course now is way more organized. I put a lot more thought into how to organize it for them to study by themselves to get ready for our meetings. So it was a long answer to a short question. I agree with both um, Amira and Zakanya as far as um, kind of the engagement and to, ways to increase engagement. Like I was forced to kind of work hard and figure out 
how to do that in a way that I would give my face-to-face students what they need needed. So I think that um, for even my online classes, I'm teaching summer too, um, and those classes were always originally online for me, but I might have, um, or what I'm actually building is like a schedule for synchronous uh, teaching. And of course it's it's optional, but those will be recorded and made available to the students because I feel like um, when I have students in a classroom and I am giving, even if it's a virtual classroom and I am giving a lecture and they are participating and asking questions, it's a lot more, um, engaging than when I am just making these lecture videos and I don't have the questions coming in and I'm not responding to real life students, but I'm just talking to myself or the camera and talking through like steps or lessons. I want to make those um, lectures, those classroom lectures available to um, students even in an online um, format, because I think that that could really be helpful in adding to their classroom experience. Yeah, I I completely agree. I cannot record lectures um, talking to myself. I feel really weird about it, and I use a lot of air air. So I'm not I'm not doing that. Uh, what I learned is uh, when I went from face to face to distant learning, um, they could find things in different places. So I organized everything for this summer under modules, so they will not be scattered all over, and it will be difficult for them uh, to find materials. So everything under modules, uh, the the. A publisher content is linked there, so it's it's a lot more uh, quality matter kind of approach rather than let me just throw it there so they they will have it and and I found it to be a lot more easier for them to find where things are and for me to uh, review the material with them. So that is another thing that I have changed from the spring or based on the spring for the summer classes. Uh, one more thing, uh, office hours. I did Zoom office hours in the spring and I would sit in front of my computer laptop for hour and a half and maybe I had two or three students throughout this time that came to visit me. So I said, instead of doing that, I will just let them know that office hours are, are by appointment. Those are the hours that I can be available for you guys if you need me, but I'm very flexible. Just email me and I'll just uh, create a Zoom meeting by appointment and that would make it a lot more um, a lot more uh, efficient than just to sit and wait for people to come and visit me. So that's another change that I did. Yeah, Amira, I, I I actually did that this time in spring is I basically told them that this is the time I will be available and if they wanted to, they would make an appointment with me. So I had people say I will come and meet you at that time and then I would just um, open up my personal meeting room on Zoom. And mm -hmm. sometimes even if it was not those times and they said they wanted to meet me, I would just mm -hmm. say, OK, come to my personal meeting room at whatever time is convenient for both of us and then we can have a meeting. So that mm -hmm. actually that personal meeting room, having that link all the time is actually great. 
Oh, I need to learn about that because I did not know that we have this personal meeting room. Yeah, it's actually wonderful because that Zoom link is always available to you. So you can, that's the only one link. So if they have it, they can just tell you the time and both of you can just join at that time. Okay, just create uh, um, one Zoom link. Okay. And, and, and I guess to, to add on to add on to that, one of the things that I did in the spring was because I was getting so much, um, everything was coming email and I was missing like some of those, I want to set an appointment from students. I, I always tell my students to contact me via Canvas, but only half of them do it. Um, I started using, I think it's called Schedule Elicity. Um, and putting my office hours there and automatically routing that to my calendar. And it really worked out for knowing that I actually had meetings during my office hours. Yeah, there's a there's another um, great uh, I guess free product that I use called Calendly that does something similar. I primarily use it for outside um, like vendors so that they can see what's going on there. Um, but I do know that since we're all on Outlook too now, we do have the scheduling assistant option. Um, and, I, and I think students can use this as well to schedule appointments and meeting times. And, uh, and then there are also uh, a couple of other apps too, like Find Time that can allow you to easily implement um, polls instead of using Doodle and things like that, that will make it easier to, to convey to students when people might be available or when the best time to meet might actually be. Okay, I didn't know about the find time or even the, I haven't used the Outlook calendar, but that is very good to know. Yeah, or the just, yeah. yeah well, we have so much to, to learn and to add um yeah i wrote it down thank you yeah, i think that's another great thing to bring up in this whole online or digital realm is there are tools out there that we can use today that are so helpful and those tools are going to get better tomorrow and then there's going to be new tools tomorrow it's just it's really helpful and really important to stay abreast to what's going on out there to uh, keep current so well, I really do appreciate all your time today. I think we've we've learned a lot of great tips to help going forward with any online teaching. So I do appreciate that. Thank you for sharing your lessons. Um, any last thoughts before we head on out of this session? Just hang out there. It's going to get better. <laughs> all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much. And um, thank you. We will meet up with you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. All right. Welcome back, everyone. It's me again, Mark Garcia, Dean of Strategic Initiatives here at Collin College. And this is the segment of the podcast I like to call Show Me What You're Working With. This week's Show Me What You're Working With is really going to kind of be a preview of next week's episode of the podcast because what I'm working with this week 
is a piece of software called Accessibee. And it's a piece of software that you might actually have seen pop up on the Colin website, even if you're not aware of that. And it's part of a larger initiative we're working on here at Colin College to work towards ADA compliance. So Accessibee is a super awesome piece of software that utilizes a front-facing user component that allows the user to resize fonts on a web page, modify the way that content appears to make it more readable, um, and, and essentially launch a variety of accessibility options. And you can see it on the Colin homepage. If you look in the lower left-hand corner, there should be the accessibility icon. I believe it's an individual sitting in a wheelchair. And when you click on that icon, it's going to open up a panel that will allow you to actually modify the Colin College website in real time. So that's one of the two cool things that's happening uh, with Accessibility. The other awesome thing that happens happens in a way that you can't actually see or visualize, and that is on the back end. Accessibility accesses the code of our website every 24 hours, and if any changes have been made to the site and those changes are not in conjunction and, and within compliance of the WCAG 2.0, um, Accessibility will automatically go through and modify the site so that it falls within compliance or at least gets closer to it. Um, and it makes it more accessible with screen readers as well as um, as well as any of the alt tags and anything else that's happening on the web page. So in next week's episode, I'm going to actually jump into um, some of the cooler things with the front-end piece of Accessibility that can make it to where you can on-the-fly modify a page of the Colin website as an end-user to make it more accessible. And we might even have a, a slightly deeper conversation next week on ADA compliance, what it is and why it's important anyway. So please be sure to tune in next week to learn more about ADA compliance as well as Accessibility. And that is going to be the end of this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, my name is Mark Garcia. I've been the host this week in conjunction with Nicola Marshman, who led that great panel with the Faculty Fellows. And I'd like to remind you that if you have any questions for us here on the podcast, or if you're a faculty member and you're thinking, hey, there's a topic I really wish that they would cover, feel free to send us an email at develop at colin.edu. That's develop at colin.edu. Go ahead and give us your thoughts, and we can either address them as a mailbag episode on the podcast, or maybe even see if you or one of your colleagues would like to join us as a special guest to talk through some of the more specific details on your topic. So again, this has been the Colin College Academic Continuity Podcast. I've been your host, Mark Garcia, and thanks as always for listening.